Welcome to the Naturally Nourished Podcast that delivers cutting-edge food as medicine solutions for optimal health. Allie Miller is a nutrition expert sought up by the media and America's top medical institutes for her revolutionary functional medicine interventions. From disease treatment to prevention, every episode will empower you with ways to put yourself back in control of your health. Please note, the topics discussed are for educational purposes only. Now welcome, Integrative Dietitians Allie Miller and her co-host Becky Yu. Welcome to episode 240 of the Naturally Nourished Podcast. Today we are talking about one of our favorite foods, wine. <laughs> this is true. It counts as a food, Becky. It does. I'm vouching for I, it. I say it all the time. <laughs> so we covered the dirty truth on wine back in episode 98 with Todd White, owner of Dry Farm Wines. And now that it's somehow been almost 150 episodes since then, we figured it was time to have him back just to update listeners on what's going on in the wine world and how beyond alcohol, the toxins added to many wines can really create a whole body imbalance. Absolutely. Unfortunately, what we've learned 150 episodes ago was that a lot of the wine that we drink today is really a product of a chemistry lab, not of nature. And all of the vision of thinking of how a grape grows on the vines and the seasons and the resilience of that plant from pests and scarcity would influence things like polyphenols and antioxidants. Well, a lot of that is really robbed in these dead sterilized wines where they're over-irrigating them, they're selling them by weight, and then they're throwing right away sulfites to sterilize and kill the grape and then using genetically modified yeast to re-inoculate and so forth. So we are all about working with nature and respecting things in their natural state as much as possible. So in the latter half of today's episode, we will be bringing Todd back on to the Naturally Nourished podcast to talk about updates in the wine industry. And to open today's episode, we're going to be talking to y'all about how to manage a hangover, um, ways to support your body's detox process if you do choose to consume alcohol, kind of good, better, best spectrum in alcohol selection, and so much more because this is the start of summer and it's been a marathon and a half (laughs) of a year. We all survived 2020. So I know a lot of us uh, used wine as a potential coping mechanism. So we want to make sure that we're all empowered and in the good, better, best scheme of things, we are supporting our bodies as best we can. Right. And I'm just thinking about people starting to go out again and maybe gather with friends they hadn't gathered with for whatever reason um, in a while that too much wine could easily be consumed because we've been like so pent up and, and repressed. So I think this is a really timely episode for that reason alone. Absolutely. All right. So before we jump into it, let's have a quick word from our sponsor for this episode, Fond Bone Broth. Yes, y'all know that we love Fond Bone Broth and they truly are wellness well made. They ensure that their process of bone broth is done from soil to bottle, all in a very qualitative form. So they work with local organic farmers, they have cage-free chicken, they will soon have grass-fed beef, which I'm super excited about. They use uh, artisan well water, which is tested daily, stainless steel vats in the cooking process, and then they bottle in these beautiful 
artisanal glass jars. And that's not only what goes into their bone broth, but all of the synergy of the ingredient flavor profiles that they put into their products is bar none. It's like a sous chef in a jar. And I always find ways to liven up my meals while adding nutritional density when I add some fond. And it's my favorite sipping broth for sure as well. Um, they really blend flavors to support inflammation, to support metabolic health, and so much more. So they're functional. Every ingredient is handpicked and paired to aid in absorption and taste. So when they do their turmeric cracked black pepper, those biopurine compounds in the black pepper aid in the curcuminoid absorption, um, and so much more. I've been sipping on all of their flavors, but I really love the one with radish. I'm trying to pull up all the ingredients in here. Becky, you want to share real quick why we love bone broth and the nutrients? Oh, we love bone broth for all the reasons, but I think specific even to hangover prevention as we get into it today. Um, I really love it for the electrolyte punch, you know, the day after maybe we've had a glass too many of wine, we're feeling a little bit off in the electrolyte department. You're going to be getting a full spectrum of electrolytes from, from bone broth, from that salty mineral rich liquid of, you know, liquid gold, if you will. Um, and then we also love it for the fact that it's going to support our gut lining integrity. And we know that alcohol and, you know, especially certain forms of alcohol can kind of wreak havoc on that gut lining. So I think a really great thing to sip on kind of day post to recoup as well. Love it. Yes, absolutely. And I think we both do that by default. It just feels so good to do that. We came back from Fredericksburg and I think both of us, it was like the first thing I Uh went for. And I love that font is in those jars that are shelf stable because you don't have to thaw it. You just pop it right onto your simmering, um, you know, pot and sip on it. And I have been doing the flavor name is spring clean and it used to be called the trolley Dodger. So I was sharing with you guys back the seasonal blend of the Nopalito, but this has been my recent jam, the trolley dodger or spring clean and it has pasture raised poultry so the chicken feet back and necks spring water red radish yellow onion redmond real salt green onion organic fresh squeezed lemon juice and garlic and it is just phenomenal uh, so go on over to fondbonebroth.com slash AllieMillerRD. Again, fondbonebroth.com slash AllieMillerRD. That lets them know that you learned about them through the Naturally Nourished podcast, and you will save on your order when you use AllieMillerRD. All right, let's get into it for today, starting with um, maybe a little recap on why we get hungover. Um, yes. So... <laughs> Maybe uh, a little bit on this, kind of what the process of, you know, a hangover is in the body and um, perhaps why certain people get it a little worse than others. Sure. So, you know, a hangover can manifest in various ways. It is, generally speaking, alcohol-induced and can result in headache, brain fog, or concentration issues fatigue, uh, as well as like physical fatigue or aches and pains. 
uh, mood shifts. So we can see an influx of anxiety and depression tendencies. And I think that's really important. We'll, we'll hit on that because alcohol is a depressant. And so that can definitely interfere with neurotransmitters. And then it can have some neurotoxic effects as well, which can further interfere with especially our serotonin and GABA. Uh, we can see nausea and vomiting from toxicity, extreme thirst, dry mouth, food cravings, and unmanaged hunger, or some people will say in even a, a maybe not a level that would cause a hangover, but just with alcohol consumption that that lowers inhibitions. Mm -hmm. And sure. I think that that's a common thing that we see in clinic is that the individual has a glass of wine while they're cooking dinner, or and then that second glass of wine maybe after dinner, and then they go into the munching, crunching thing. Well, yep. we know that that's emotional hunger because you just ate dinner within the last two hours. <laughs> totally. So when we look at alcohol, I mean, the big thing is that it is a toxin itself. And, um, you know, when we look at how the body functions, basically we break it down to acetaldehyde and the acetaldehyde dehydrogenase and glutathione further break down the alcohol substrate. Again, glutathione, remember, is the grandmama antioxidant. So in that chain from vitamin C being the little kid sister, glutathione is that master antioxidant that plays a role in both phase one and phase two detox support. So part of that crummy feeling of a hangover is actually just the depletion of glutathione in general, and that can interfere with inflammation or that chronic fatigue syndrome and so much more. And so now the liver is trying to both continue to detox the acetaldehyde or the alcohol substrate while regenerating the glutathione. Um, and as we're working through that process, um, we know that women, generally speaking, make smaller amounts of acetaldehyde dehydrogenase and glutathione than men. And so that makes women, generally speaking, more susceptible to hangovers, especially knowing that also then, you know, women tend to have different body composition and size. Sure. And so you know, you may want to be mindful of that's why there are different rules of what moderate drinking is for women and men. Right. Right. Um, and something maybe more obvious or, or more well-known let's cover dehydration as well. Cause I think that's a really biggie in the world of hangovers. Yeah. So, I mean, alcohol dehydrates you, you know, alcohol is actually added to so many cosmetics and products, uh, like lotions and such to dry. Right. And mm -hmm. so it plays a role. Um, it causes diuresis or urination. And ultimately, you're excreting a lot more water than input because your alcohol is going to be in more concentrated amounts unless you are drinking water along. And even so, if you're drinking water, that can, yes, mitigate or reduce the level of dehydration, but you're still repleting those electrolytes through that diuretic effect. So, you know, you're getting that excess output of urine. You're also likely getting low amounts of hydration, which we know the importance of water. We talk about all the time on the podcast. So from lubrication to aiding in lipolysis, which is body fat loss to aiding in um, mental health and brain function and so much more, just the dehydration alone. And then the electrolyte instability adds insult to injury. And alcohol actually inhibits your antidiuretic hormone secretion. So that basically tells the kidneys to send water straight to the bladder and bypass the absorption in the body. So even if you are chugging water, that inhibition from the alcohol to your antidiuretic hormone interferes with how the water is utilized, which is also important to note. 
super interesting and maybe reason to do an electrolyte beverage instead of like just water alone. So like adding some pinches of mineral salt or doing like, you know, sparkling water with even a pinch of, of salt in it and lime along with your alcohol kind of in between. I swear that's why I like a good old clean margarita. margarita. <laughs> yeah, I know. But you really, I mean, to something. <laughs> yeah, but no, I mean, there is. So there's a shortage of vitamins and minerals, and um, this can impact organ function. Um, and then again, the organs all become less functional as they are less lubricated or less hydrated. Um, so as the organs kind of are on the drier state, um, then they start to pull moisture from the brain. And when this happens, the brain actually shrinks and blood vessels become inflamed to try to regulate that. And this makes it harder for blood to flow through the brain and that causes pressure. That's where if you literally have like a pounding Mm -hmm. headache, it's because as the brain shrinks, it pulls at the membranes that connect the brain and the skull. And that will provide you quite a, um, yeah, not good time. No, not at all. Kind of scary to think about it impacting on like an organ function like that. And then also with the hangover piece, we'll get into more with Todd. Some of the additives in wine can certainly be, you know, big uh, reasons for hangover, um, as well as some of the naturally occurring constituents like the tannins and the sulfites that are found even in natural wine, not added sulfites. Um, And then the histamine response that a lot of us do get from wine. Especially if we've had gut dysbiosis or other histamine intolerance, for sure. So maybe let's share some strategy of of how (laughs) we um, mitigate a hangover. And, you know, if we are going to consume alcohol, um, kind of figure out good, better, best of the choices as well as what we can do like alongside it. Yeah. I mean, I think the first thing is being mindful of your plan, like having a plan, you know? Um, So if you're going to a restaurant or going to a particular type of bar, uh, what uh, type of beverage are you going to select and what are you going to stick with for that night? You know, I tend to kind of joke about the idea of like, you know, a wine sandwich. Oh, where yeah, don't do that. Don't do a wine sandwich. <laughs> it's never had a good time with a wine sandwich. So, you know, I will often be able to tolerate doing like a cocktail and then wine with dinner um, or vice versa, wine with dinner and maybe a cocktail after. But I think either way, shape or form, a wine sandwich is not a good choice. So have a plan. And the second thing is, I think, you know, as someone who's heading into 37, you know, we want to think about, because we have listeners of all age ranges, but what is our objective of drinking alcohol? Is it to lower inhibitions? Um, do we want to connect on a deeper, more intimate level with friends, family, our partner? Um, is it to numb out? Is it to, you know, um, create escapism? I know that the answer is never going to be to have a whopping obnoxious hangover and loose stools or feel super bloated and disgusting in my body the next day. That's never (laughs) why we drink alcohol. And so I think it's worth discerning, you know, where you're at and what choices you make 
to prevent that end product. And, you know, one of the big things is just to straight up slow down. So allowing yourself to maybe get a little bit of that light buzz, but not get drunk because at this age, all of us listening to a health podcast, none of us have the goal, I don't believe, of getting drunk, um, which really puts us out of our ideal mental space and can be then quite a downspin um, for overall health. So hydrating between drinks, like actually doing sparkling water and lime in between. Um, I think doing like a uh, more of like a ranch water with a topo, but without tequila. So like using a sparkling water with a lime and salt. So that would be a way to get like that electrolyte boost going Um, or, you know, rock salt on a mocktail with electrolyte balance would be fine. Or just straight up slowing down on your wine glass. You know, you don't have to have a filler in between. I think eating is the one that I've made the biggest faux pas with um, because I can consume a moderate amount of alcohol, but because I'm keto and I'm low carb, I already kind of tend to have less volume in my body and I'm, um, you know, moderate to small sized individual. And I have been known to accidentally find myself wine tasting fasting. Uh That's never (laughs) a good choice. Um, And so having a solid meal um, before, after, and, you know, not that mindset of like, oh, then it's going to be more expensive, more alcohol because I won't feel a buzz. I never think that that's the case. I really think that having a solid and don't just do a protein shake before you drink alcohol either. I think having a solid meal um, before wine or cocktails is always important. So wine pairs really well with cheese and nuts and olives, you know, um, or having a charcuterie plate, um, with different meats and such would be a really great choice. I would never have more than a single drink non-accompanied with food. Do you think that's a fair? I agree with that. And I would say on like the keto thing too, I've found and, and where I think we've both gotten ourselves into a little bit of trouble is, trying to stay super tight keto at a meal where there's also alcohol consumed, I find I do a little bit better if I also add some carbs into that meal. So if I went for like, you know, sweet potato or, um, you know, some roasted Yukon gold potatoes or really whatever is available, um, I'm going to feel better the next day for sure. Totally. And I noticed like at a steak restaurant, especially uh, if the server is pouring wine into the glass, like I have a really solid swallow reflex. Like I'm just going to do it, you know? And if the wine's in front of me and it's delicious, I get into trouble if I can't count and I have no idea like, oh, did I have two glasses or was it filled four times in the middle and those were and then they're filled at partial glasses so I've noticed that also to help me I'll often like ask the server in advance I'll just make eye contact and be polite and be like you know what it actually really helps me if I can let my glass fully empty and refill it because that's a good kind of pacing slow down and in the same model if we're in that level of like celebratory meal I'm probably going to have part of potato where I used Mm -hmm. to opt out of potato with my steak and now I'm like oh no I'll do like a third of a baked potato because that little bit of sticking to my ribs is going to be very supportive and it does probably likely also Becky help with the hydration because remember carbs keep water weight on you so when you have that anti-diuretic effect thing help happening already I think that having a little bit of carb would be reasonable for sure good and then beyond what we're eating um let's talk about maybe best choices for alcohol if we are going to drink Yeah. So I would say making sure that you're starting pre with a good electrolyte balance. So if you had a big workout, at least have a solid meal and make sure you're repleted. Maybe do an electrolyte pack pre-game and post-game. I think that an electrolyte in the evening with a detox pack would be a great way to set yourself up for success. 
But when you're choosing uh, options, I would always go additive-free, sulfite-free. Um, you know, most pre-mixes, are, there are, of course, like organic mixes and such. But I really think that just doing clean cocktails where I, I do much better with a clear spirit. Um, and I know that that can tie into histamine. That can also tie into um, tannins because when we're getting a darker alcohol, that's going to have more plant matter, more barrel aging. Uh, so I like to go clear and um, I like to go just with like two to three single ingredients. So I like to do um, lime and um, I like to do salt a lot. I like to do sparkling water. I like to use grapefruit. I'll do like a salty dog, which is just grapefruit, salt, and vodka. That's an easy go to at a restaurant. At home, I might add a little bit of ginger with that. Um, so I like to use citrus as a go-to because it does provide, um, you know, a nice potent flavor without high sugar content. Um, and very simple, very clean. Any things I'm missing out? I don't know, but why don't we fake order your margarita so that listeners can hear like what your actual order is? Yeah. Okay. So I'm a big fan of, um, El, is it El Naraja over Cointreau or, um, I think it's called El Naraja. Um, it's a form of like an orange liqueur from Mexico. Um, so it's not Cointreau or Grand Meunier and it tends to be lower in sugar as well. Uh, a lot of restaurants don't have that, but some in Austin do. Um, but that's what we use in our household as like a, uh, the, the triple sec option, if you will, yep. for like a low carb mark, El Naraja and, um, if I'm making it at home, I'll share that first, I guess. Sure. Because we do have a low-carb marg recipe on the blog, but mostly what we do at home, I should probably have Brady on here for this, yeah. is I believe it's an ounce of lime um, with a half ounce of El Naraja and I think an ounce and a half of the organic tequila. And then um, that's shaken uh, and um, put on ice. I think that's it with salt on the rim. Um, and so when I'm ordering it at a restaurant, I'll ask what tequilas they have. I choose their cleanest one. I always like to have a Blanco versus a Reposado, which is going to have, again, a clear option versus the aged. Um, and I think Reposado actually means a per- particular amount of age. And then there's Anejo versus, yeah, I don't know. But I go for Blanco. But I just say Blanco. Always. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> I just say a Blanco tequila, clear tequila. Yep. And I say that clearly. And then I'll just say, and I would just like... I don't want any margarita mix. I would like fresh lime juice, um, about the amount of two limes. Um, and I'd like that shaken on ice with the tequila. And then I'll often get that with like sparkling water. Um, I may, if I want it to be more of a true margarita, I may ask what they have of their orange liqueurs. Um, and I may do Cointreau, um, as like a top shelf mark where I'll just say Cointreau, fresh lime juice, Blanco tequila shaken on ice. Yep. And most places won't. They've heard it before. They're like, do you want the skinny margarita? And you want to ask them what that means. And then you still reiterate, but no agave, no sweetener. Because a lot of times the skinny margarita is the one made with pure agave. Right. But then they do it that way that I just mentioned with a Cointreau lime tequila. And then you just still remove the agave. Exactly. That's the trick. Yes. And then, hey, if they like model cilantro or jalapeno, Jalapeno, that would be really nice. Even better. Totally. Um, And I'll share the, the low carb 
recipe um, from the blog in today's show notes. And then we'll wait on um, how to choose a wine, I guess, on Todd's content from today. Yes, Um, totally. He'll hit it. But what about um, a little bit of mitigation strategy in terms of supplements? I know you and I are always like dealing supplements at the table when we're out to I'm telling you. And I just, when I got back from Florida, my brother who is like Mr. No Supplements, like I'm not taking pills. um, He was like, hey, those detox packs were awesome, Al's. Um, so I was like, ooh, and he had to take five pills in that pack, you know? Uh-huh. Um, but I am like the detox pack fairy. Um, we were playing cards till midnight most of the nights. And so like, you know, if we went and opened, we had six adults, you know, so if we opened another another bottle of wine, then I was like, okay, everyone's getting a detox pack. And um, I think detox packs uh, before bed and the following day are essential. You might even prime your system and take a detox pack prior, depending sure. on the crowd you're hanging out with. Or you kind of, again, you know what you're getting into. You're yep. an adult. You know your your category of people. Um, I'm a huge fan because of, again, that acetaldehyde toxicity and the depletion of glutathione. Cellular antiox is essential. So getting that N-acetylcysteine and the S-acetylated glutathione with B6 um, cellular antioxidants, I take generally one twice daily as is. Um, remember that was another one we were talking about big emphasis with pandemic. So especially if you're traveling and drinking more, maybe you up your cell antioxidants anyway. Um, but that's one that I would definitely go for like four for the day of and the day after. Um, and then I am a big fan of incorporating an, a B complex on top of your multi, I think of a B-complex as a a really flexible accessory. So this is something that you would absolutely want to think of. We think of, you know, um, thiamine and riboflavin as uh, big nutrients in the B vitamin family that can get depleted with alcohol toxicity. And then the fact that B vitamins also through water solubility, when you get dehydrated, are going to be depleted as well. And then those B vitamins work as cofactors to aid in neurotransmitter function. So I think that that would be a really strong consideration of the B complex the day of and also the day after. Uh, The day after, and maybe even the day of, honestly, like as you go to the event, GABACOM would be a really good add-in because... Uh, you know, sometimes I think you drink quickly in the beginning of social anxiety to like get that inhibition, that peace, yeah. you know, that like, good point. oh, get off that little jitters. Like I think of like a wedding or, you know, meeting a lot of strangers. So I think if you take a GABA calm, you're going to come in a lot more grounded, a lot less of that anxiety fight or flight that you're trying to numb with the alcohol. So you might not drink as much total. And then if need be the day after, GABA calm can really help with that like rumination, shame, as well as like um, just that physiological anxiety. Um, what am I trying to do with my hand here? Shaking, shakiness. Shakiness like or like tremor. Jittery. Yeah. 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 And I think that also um, Gabacol would be the most acute, but adrenal um, support might be brought in the day after if you're feeling really fatigued or burned out or the adaptogen boost could also be leveled up because we know there's a lot of antidepressant effect in there. Totally. And then, you know, um, doing things like coconut water, maybe before bed or, um, adding your relax and regulate in, like not forgetting to take it somehow, no matter how many glasses of wine I have, I always remember that one. It's just like a staple. Um, but getting that in to keep electrolytes balanced and then doing that the next day too, can kind of help to mitigate, you know, some of the headaches and, um, things like that from dehydration. 
Yeah. And last detox, I really established, and maybe it was your pregnancy that also helped me, Becky, <laughs> establishing a, a new love for kombucha. Yeah. And, you know, when we worry about the impact of the hangover, we're also thinking about stressing the microbiome because, you know, in your colon um, is where we're going to manufacture a lot of those B vitamins like biotin and vitamin K is also made in the colon based on bacteria. And so when we get alcohol, which is sterilizing, and we get that, especially in a stressing toxic delivery, um, that can really throw off the microbiome. So ensuring that you also still take your evening probiotic, and maybe you would double down on your probiotic, um, but the Restore Baseline probiotic could be a good start there. And then considering like kombucha as a mixer, or that'd be another good thing to use intermittently in, in place of alcohol, um, so that you're not getting there in the first place. Yeah, we keep a big jug of the Buddha's Brew, which is a local Austin brand, and I'm going to be doing that probably daily instead of uh, wine or cocktail during our detox right I like now. to put it in a wine glass, yeah. Yes. I think it's yep. fun. It makes it special. And yeah, I purposefully don't drink certain teas or certain flavors of kombucha during the day so that um, it's just a different, it's a transition, you know, and I think that that's helpful for sure. Yeah, still feels special. Absolutely. Um, And then what about like for the next day, if somehow we were overserved or we just drink a type of alcohol that doesn't seem to agree with us? Um, Personally, I don't know how moms can be hungover. Like you can't be, you don't, you just don't have time for that. You're not allowed to Um, be. And so, yeah, you're not allowed to be. And I noticed for myself with breastfeeding, like the electrolyte um, impact is so much more dynamic that I really have to be careful, but slow and steady. Yep. Mm -hmm. Um, what are your favorite go-tos for the next day? So we should definitely share the recipe for the turmeric lemonade. Um, that's a really fantastic go-to and you already mentioned coconut water, but sipping on that bone broth would be fantastic the next day as we kind of shared with our ad time. And so I think doing a mug of bone broth early in the morning, especially instead of coffee right away. So that helps to kind of get your electrolytes up. But, you know, coffee um, can reduce the swelling in blood vessels in the brain. So that can help um, with reducing that headache, especially a lot of people have, you know, caffeine can help mitigate a headache as is. Um, And then especially if you are doing the coffee later in the day, or I would do the bone broth first, lemon water, bone broth, detox pack kind of thing. And then maybe coffee within an hour and a half or two, maybe eat something solid first. Having um, like nut flour baked goods would be good so that you can get something that like sticks to your ribs versus maybe just eggs and bacon to do like the banana blueberry muffin um, with grass-fed butter. And then when you do bring in the coffee, um, I would definitely say that'd be a good time to consider the CBD because the CBD will also reduce some of that anxiety, um, adrenaline response to the coffee and give you nice of that GABA effect to help to relax and mellow and also be an additional anti-inflammatory. And on the anti-inflammatory world, I would say both super turmeric and the inflammazyme would be reasonable options. Uh, super turmeric is kind of the first go-to though. I would say like three to four of those a day for the headache, body ache kind of thing. And then inflammazyme would be, you know, a layer on or especially if more of a like 
um, physiological effect of inflammation was going on. Sure, if you get like the joint aches or like achy hands and, and smaller joints the next day. Yeah, and I think getting out and getting in the sun, um, maybe not hot, 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 right? So earlier in the morning sun would be great. Getting the sun in your pineal gland and your brain um, to reset your melatonin is going to be really important with combating the depressive effects. So getting into actual real light out, instead of like going right into your blue light or laying in bed watching TV, if you can just lay on a towel outside or on a blanket, you're still going to do better getting that sun in your eyes. Um, and then when possible, sweating out. Um, so exercise or sauna would be great tips as well. And one thing I would just call out, um, this is the only place that we could consider like activated charcoal. We've talked about this kind of back and forth on areas of like podcast of gut cleanse and such. And I think that activated charcoal is misused in many places. Um, I think that if you know, like if you for some reason had alcohol toxicity, um, but that's like you're probably not walking straight, so you're probably not thinking straight at that time. So I, it's hard to kind of say in that setting, but that could be a time when you would take activated charcoal. Um, otherwise, that following morning, like if you're feeling like you're going to vomit or like you're going to have diarrhea, activated charcoal can help there. The issue is, though, that uh, I wouldn't take it just because you're drinking. So what I'm saying is if you're just drinking two to three glasses of wine over a six-hour window and you're eating and you're taking a detox pack, I wouldn't do activated charcoal because that could further throw off your electrolytes and then that could actually give you more achiness. Right. It would really be if you truly had like a base of alcohol toxicity, like if you overdid it. Um, and again, I'm saying kind of at that point, I'm not sure, but that following morning, you kind of remember to take it. Right, um, right. But if you knew you're going to a wedding or seeing college friends that you haven't seen in a while and things might get out of hand. It could um, be a technique after drink three kind yep. of thing. Yep. Mm -hmm. Yep. I'd agree with that. Yeah. I've never tried it. So <laughs> can't speak to that. But I know that the, again, the only time I would use charcoal is to chelate a known toxin. Sure. Yeah. Um, and it still doesn't support detoxification. So you'd still want those detox packs for yeah. sure. Yeah. Okay. I think good strategy for kind of mitigation and prevention of hangover. Um, so we'll have all of the tools linked in today's show notes. Let's go ahead and bring Todd on for the second half of our podcast. So do you want to read his bio? Sure, I'm into it. All right, so Todd is self-described biohacker who practices daily meditation, Wim Hof breathing, cold thermogenesis, a keto diet, intermittent fasting, and is a fitness enthusiast. He is a frequent speaker on topics, including all of these areas, as well as company culture and business performance. And today, after 15 years in the wine business, his life is dedicated to educating and helping people make better choices about food, nutrition, and how they think about consuming alcohol. In fact, Todd was the first one to bring to our attention this concept of microdosing alcohol in last episode. So we'll link that in the show notes as well, episode 98. He is the founder of Dry Farm Wines, a writer, speaker, and a leading authority on healthy, organic, natural wines, and the importance of microdosing alcohol for health, longevity, and vitality. Todd's passion is unlocking the best way to enjoy alcohol, how to enjoy the benefits of moderate consumption while avoiding the negative outcomes. Thanks. Happy to be here. Yes. We are so excited to have you back on the podcast now, 150 plus episodes out from the last conversation we've had. A lot has changed in the world and I'm sure a lot has changed in the world of dry farm wines. 
So just to give a refresher to listeners, you know, last episode was called the dirty truth of wine, and we covered all of the influences on toxicity additives and really the industry of winemaking. And what was really alarming to Becky and I in that conversation was that we were finding out that we were drinking a sterilized product of a chemistry lab, you know, more than a product of nature. And I think it's important to share with listeners why I love wine. And I I think some of the same reasons that Becky loves wine and us being in the Austin area, we make a lot of trips out to Fredericksburg wine country. And there's this romantic element of connecting to our earth. Uh, you know, it's really important for us to experience this influence of the, the terroir, or I'm sure you can say that more eloquently than me, but the influence of the soil, the seasons, the resistance of the plant, the struggle of the vein, the vines, and this fermentation process, all really allowing nature to sing. And I think it's important if we're drinking wine that we know that that's what we truly are experiencing as opposed to, like I said, a a product of a lab. So I'd love to hear from you, Todd, just a little bit of clarity um, on, you know, what makes a dry farmed wine and, and what makes a more product of nature versus what I would call a chemical shitstorm. <laughs> yeah, it's a fair question. Thing is, most people just are not educated. That's the primary challenge. But dry farm wines, or when when you think about natural wines, which is what we sell, and that's a very confusing term to consumers because I say, oh, I'm in the natural wine business. And they're like, aren't all wines natural? And for reasons that we discussed on your last show, they're not natural. So in fact, there's 76 additives approved by the FDA for the use in winemaking. The reason you don't know about that is because the wine industry is lobbied to keep contents labeling off of bottles. But when you think about a natural wine, then you, you, you think about a wine that's grown, not made. And so we say wine growers, not wine makers, right? Because the only, the most important aspect of what's happening in a natural wine is the earth and the living soil. And the polyphenols are the healthy compounds that are found in organic or biodynamic wines. Also dry farmed wines are also higher in these polyphenols, flavonoids, and antiflavonoids. So when you irrigate a vine, and I'm gonna come back, just touch on what natural wine is before we go into irrigation. So natural wine, to define that for your audience, if they didn't hear the last podcast was, natural wine is always organic or biodynamically farmed biodynamic farming is a prescriptive advanced form of organic farming. Uh, Natural wines are always fermented with wild native yeast on the skin of every grape berry in the world at the time of harvest is a white waxy film that's actually wild native yeast that are indigenous to the vineyard where the grape is grown. Every grape has this yeast on it. Now, commercial winemakers use sulfur dioxide to kill the native yeast so they can inoculate it with the GMO um, lab cultured yeast. And the reason they do that is because these wild native yeast are very temperamental and difficult to work with. You can't make wine in large quantities with them and they require a lot of coddling. They're also very fragile. They'll die in a high alcohol environment and so on and so forth. So 
So natural wines are always fermented with wild native yeast. And third, they're additive free. And so in Dry Farm Wines case, my company, we also require that they are irrigation free. Not all natural wines are irrigation free. Right. Most are, but not all. And the reason, you know, we think about wine being a healthy beverage of choice and natural wines are, but we also want to make sure that they're organic or biodynamically farmed. They're fermented with wild native yeast and they are dry farmed um, because it might not surprise you that irrigation leads to a weaker vine. It's bad for the planet and also produces a fruit. This is none of this is surprising. It's common sense. It produces a fruit that is diluted it's filled with water, so it has a actual lower polyphenol uh, flavonoids, these health compounds, properties in wine that impart neuro, neurological and you know cardiovascular benefit. And if you irrigate a wine, you dilute these polyphenols. Also, if it's industrially farmed, you also have lower health value because organic farming results in higher polyphenols. These are, you know, proven in studies. It's not my opinion. So that's what a natural wine is grown, not made, because when you make a natural wine, remember when you make wine, you, wine is made when, when yeast inoculates and starts to eat the sugar and the juice and the byproduct of that is ethyl alcohol and carbon dioxide. Since yeast is already present on the grape at the time of pressing, you don't have to add anything to it. You just basically press the juice and you will have a, ferment, a spontaneous fermentation. In fact, if you, if you were to harvest a cluster of grapes and just throw it in a bucket and the skins were to break, when the skin breaks and the, the, the juice seeps from the fruit, it will begin to ferment right there in a bucket. You won't have much of a wine product, but fermentation will begin as it does all across the world in fruits that ferment or, sure. you know, animals uh, have been, you know, eating particularly monkeys and primates have been eating fermented fruit for, you know, millions of years and, and getting high off of it. So, this process is not, there's nothing made because there's nothing taken in, nothing taken out. It's simply fermented grape juice. It's fermented natively with the wild yeast that's already present. And that's the difference between kind of what makes a natural wine better for you than, you know, a commercial wine that's been industrial farmed, GMO yeast, additives, um, probably sugar. Uh, we probably talked about this in the last podcast, but that's what I was going to say, I was going to say, what was yeah. another shock and awe was that to get that alcohol percent up a lot of vineyards or winemakers, I suppose, uh, we learned add a lot of sugar to do that, to get the higher alcohol yield yield, excuse me. Um, but that also then messes with your metabolic health, both that sugar yeah, let me, added let me, and higher alcohol. Yeah. Let me clarify that because that's, because that's there is some truth to that, but it's it's not actually added sugar in in almost all cases. What they do is they allow the fruit to become riper, and so and that's done for a number of reasons. It's a winemaking style. So the riper the fruit is, irrigation also impacts this. The riper the fruit is at the time of harvest, the higher the sugar level will be inside the grape, and so 
irrigation may not surprise you again that when you when you irrigate a grapevine, you fill the berries with water. So they weigh more. It's also cheaper to farm and easier to farm. But since fruit's sold by the ton, the more it weighs, the more it's worth. So irrigation leads to a larger cluster um, with bigger berries filled with more water. Now, the problem with that, or among the problems with it, is that when you fill the berry with water, it dilutes the flavor characteristics of the fruit at harvest. And so whether you want to as a matter of winemaking style or not, you must allow this irrigated fruit to get riper, higher sugar levels, which then produces a corresponding higher alcohol. Um, and also when when they break fermentation early, this is how sugar gets in wine. So when you're fermenting in a, in a tank, you can, there's a little device, it's quite simple, but it floats on top of the, the, the tank. And it'll tell you at any given time exactly how much sugar is remaining in the wine, which is the sugar the yeast has not yet eaten. And so when the winemaker achieves a sugar level that is desirable to them, then again, they use sulfur dioxide to kill the remaining yeast before they eat all the available sugar. That's how sugar generally gets in wine, is that it's not exactly added, it's just picked later where there's more sugar in the fruit and then the fermentation is process is artificially killed by the, by the winemaker to leave residual sugar behind in the wine. But from my perspective, and you probably will agree, sugar is the most widely abused, widely addictive drug on the planet, right? And so, and personally, I'm rabidly anti-sugar, so I certainly don't want to be drinking it in my wine. Sure, and, and as we're seeing that wine that's both higher in sugar and alcohol, both two known toxins, and then we're also having, you know, higher amounts of pesticide residue or glyphosate, um, and the wine is going to be lacking in health supporting compounds. We don't get the microbiome boost from that live ferment. We don't get all of the polyphenols in the grapes because they're over irrigated and chemically treated. Um, maybe let's cover on the flip side of that, just some of the highlights in health supporting benefits of natural wines. Well, I so again, if if you so they're they're pesticide pesticide and herbicide free, so we're not dealing with. There's another problem with glyphosate and other chemicals used in industrial farming. In the United States, uh, where these glyphosate is the number one applied herbicide in U.S. vineyards, the problem with it is, and we don't know exactly why they speculate it's from irrigation, which is part of a bigger problem, but, but glyphosate is getting trace amounts. Uh, this is another controversy about what constitutes trace amounts, but you know, trace amounts of glyphosate are, are being found in organic and non-organic wines in California. Uh, there've been three studies on this. Now there's some problems with the studies as well. So, you know, so there's, some of the study samples have not been large enough, but they've gotten a tremendous amount of publicity. We don't really know what it means. We don't drink or sell California wine or U.S. wines. 
And the reason for that is because there's virtually no domestic wines that meet our criteria for purity. And it begins with irrigation because over 99% of U.S. wines are irrigated. Um, second of all, organic farming is very little practiced also in vineyards. So there are a few, but they'll usually be irrigated. And then there's a winemaking style. Remember, I mentioned with sugar, winemaking styles are, are different here than they are from the type of family farms that we work with to bring wines here. And as you know, because you drink a lot of our wine, um, all of our wines come from all around the world, most of them in Europe. Um, we have uh, a handful of growers in South America and five in South Africa. But so anyway, it's, um, it's just, you know, you, you, you also feel different. Mm-hmm. Um, let's talk about why you feel different drinking natural wines, in particular our wines, and it's two primary reasons. One, there's nothing in it but all natural product that's all organic and, and unadulterated, right? And number two, they're lower in alcohol. Um, it surprises many people to hear the wine guy, the guy they think is here to sell wine, right? Um, say the following statement, alcohol is a very dangerous neurotoxin. And so we should be drinking lower alcohol wines. I love drinking wine. I don't love alcohol. Uh, most of the wine I'm drinking today is between six and 7%. We sell wines down as low as seven now, but we're about to introduce an ultra low wine category that's made with botanicals and, and, um, and wine that will be around 6%, five and a half or 6%. And so alcohol you know, needs to be treated cautiously. I love drinking wine, drink wine every day, but, um, but we need to be careful with our alcohol intake. It also, the two primary problems with hangovers are dehydration, which comes from just drinking too much alcohol and then overdosing in alcohol creates a hangover. So, you know, we just need to be very mindful if we're concerned about our health, about how much we're drinking. And your current bottles are nine to 11% or so you said there's current, this new currently, ultra low category. Yeah. So currently we sell wines as low as 7%. Okay. Most of the wines are between nine and 12 and a half percent. We don't sell anything over 12 and a half. 12 and a half. Average American wines now are tipping right at 15%. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, the, the alcohol industry, the wine industry loves alcohol for several reasons. Alcohol hides flaws in wine right? Cause it's hot. So it hides, it hides a lot of characteristic character defaults in wine. It, it's also highly addictive. Uh, alcohol is addictive and it's what we call a domino drug. And so sounds like I'm pretty down on alcohol, right? But I'm, I'm not, it's just that I just like to think about it. So a domino drug works like this. The more you drink, the more likely you are to drink more. And so having higher underlying alcohol in wine causes you to actually drink more. And then of course you get the corresponding negative effects associated with it. Sure. And let's talk about some of the other irritants in even natural wines so that listeners can figure out or discern what works best for them. So if we're taking out 
the glyphosate and we're taking out the high alcohol and high amounts of residual sugar, all things that you guys are testing for in your wines, we still do have tannins, which would be higher in the likely I'm thinking darker pigmented, right? Because the tannins are coming from the skin in the process. And then the sulfites generally are higher in the white wines because there tends to be higher residual sugars and they're trying to blunt that fermentation process. Cause I think of those two things as tannins and sulfites to weigh out for wine drinkers. What's more of the irritant. And then the third thing I guess I would consider for with the more natural wines is the histamine because of the more fermentation. Um, if we're kind of categorizing your wines, we're assuming that they're having lower sulfites, of course, low on the toxin scale. Um, but where would you drive consumers to select as far as histamine levels? Do you tend to have higher histamine in the reds or whites, or does that just depend on the particular grape, the particular wine product? I know some I've had have been more effervescent than others, for instance. Effervescence is effervescence can occur in natural wines because it's a post bottling fermentation. So why that occurs is because the wines have not been sterilized with sulfur dioxide. So when you drink a commercial wine, um, you, you'll never find one that have any life or effervescence to it because it's been sterilized um, with a high dose of sulfur dioxide at the time of bottling. And they do that for a number of reasons, but one is to, to minimize any bottle to bottle variation uh, they kill everything alive inside the bottle. So when you, you're drinking a dead bottle of wine, in essence, when you drink a commercial wine, and what that means, and Dr. David Perlmutter has written a number of times about the positive aspects of the living bacteria that are found in natural wines and their impact on the gut microbiome. Mm -hmm. but, so, but let's talk about tannins. For, I'm sensitive to tannins. Uh, they give me a headache. And so tannins are much higher in commercial wine products for very simple reason. Winemakers, uh, commercial winemakers believe that uh, the, and Americans believe that this is a common myth. Americans believe that the darker a red wine is, yeah. the better quality it is. There's no truth to that. In fact, I'll tell you, it's just the opposite. But so they macerate or soak the skins and the seeds longer in commercial wines, attempting to get this very dark color. It also dramatically increases the tannins. And so the other thing that dramatically increases tannin influence in wines, also very popular in both commercial and cult wines is the use of oak products for flavoring. So oak barrels, new oak barrels, or oak chips, or um, all kinds of different ways that you can get oak flavoring into wine. It's very common, particularly in California, Chardonnays that are very oaky, right? And so this, this leads to, uh, I can't drink oaked wines. We don't sell them. Uh, they give me a headache, Yeah. Uh, tannins do. And sulfites, to cover your next, the next two issues that you ask about. Sulfites, we, we lab test for sulfites. The US legal limit is 350 parts per million, which is how it's measured. Sulfites can be naturally occurring up to 70 or 75 parts. 
our average wine is um, is 39 parts per million. We, we test every single wine. Those are all naturally occurring. Um, any fermented food has sulfites in it. Many foods have sulfites and potato chips have sulfites in them. Wine doesn't matter whose wine really, whether it's been treated or sterilized or not on the scale of sulfite containing foods, wine is still relatively low, even if it's had sulfur dioxide added to it. But so the legal limit is 350 parts per million. Our wines average just about a 10th of that. Um, the typical conventional wines range usually between 100 and 250 parts per million. At that point, they've been sterilized. So the wine's been killed uh, to make it shelf stable longer, again, to get rid of any of these variations or any living um, or any living um, bacteria. Uh, so that when you do get a little bit of effervescence occasionally, uh, personally, I don't usually like those wines. Uh, we don't have a lot of them. It happens sometimes. And in, 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 again, it's post-bottling fermentation because the bacteria is still alive. And then, and then third, as it relates to histamines, natural wines, because they are macerated much shorter time period, which is why if you notice most of our wines that you drink red wines and histamine is, is um, higher in reds because of, the, because of the maceration period. But most of our reds, if you notice, are lighter in color and lighter in structure than a conventional wine. And that's because the maceration period is much shorter and that shorter maceration period or the time that red wine spends in contact with skin and seeds, which is maceration, uh, is much, much shorter. And so it also results in a much lighter color wine. You've noticed our wines are not as dark as commercial wines, right? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Yep. Um, and yeah, I was always taught, look for the full body, darker color wine that has legs and everything I've learned from you guys is quite the opposite. <laughs> yeah. Well, legs are actually glycerol. So you, you, glycerol is a, is a, it has nothing to do with the quality. Wine is a, it's a sugar byproduct. Sugar, sure. Yep. It's yep. sugar. That's what's, that's what's clinging on the side of your glass. It's not wine. And so, yeah, this legs thing is like, is a sugar byproduct. And then yes, we were all taught that the darker, richer, bolder, a red wine, the better quality it was. That turns out there's a reason how that happened. Uh, there's two, two, two reasons. The foremost reason is that the, the predominant wine critic of the last 50 years who invented the 100 point rating system and and uh, virtually invented the the he was the most famous wine critic in history happens to like as a choice of his palate he likes dark rich gooey big wines and so because he's been so powerful um, he really determined sort of on behalf of all of us, how wines were flavored, you know, how wine styles emerged. Because for many years, even today, if you get a high rating from this critic, then um, then your wines will sell much faster and much higher. And yeah, I mean, today, 
wine is sold in three ways. I mean, when you think about wine marketing 101, wine is sold three ways. It's sold through story, um, you know, some pedigreed story about a place or people. It's sold by label design. People mm-hmm. like the label. <laughs> Maybe it's got an animal on it, right? And then number three, it's sold through ratings. Because when you go in the wine shop or when you go in the grocery store and you see thousands or hundreds of bottles, you have no idea what to buy. Right. right? And so you're either you've been sold a story through some advertising campaign or you like the label or it's got a neck hanger on it or some, you know, (laughs) with a rating on it that says this guy likes this wine. And you're like, well, if he likes it, then it must be good. Right. That's how it's sold. Yeah. The label always, always gets me still (laughs) to this day. We sell wine a little bit differently than everybody else, which is why we've been, you know, why we have, you know, millions of people drinking our wine is because we, we sell it through a quantification. So we sell wine that's quantified in a health. We sell wine with a story, but the story is, Hey, if you're going to drink, you should drink healthier, better wine. Sure. And it, and we're going to quantify that for you. And then when you meet us or you see us and you say, oh, wow, these people look like they live a healthy lifestyle, right? They care. I mean, we're biohackers. We're like, we're health and wellness enthusiasts, right? I mean, it's our lifestyle. So then people are like, well, apparently these these people are credible. You're on to something. (laughs) Yeah, we have lots of people who trust us because- we do a thing, this one thing, and we keep doing it exactly the same way. And, you know, we never deviate in the pursuit of growth or profit. You know, we, we do a thing because that's who we are. Right. And it's, it's in our DNA. You know, we're trying to help people live a healthier life. And within that realm of quality, you still get some darn beautiful labels. I will say, (laughs) I want to interrupt Becky's Becky's got a question to ask. I know to wrap us up, but I want to just state, um, on that world. Um, I I like how you broke that down, Todd, about, about the different components of wine that could be causing drama or issues in the body. And I wanted to share your happiness promise that you guys provide subscribers, because I will say for people that are new to natural wines, like you said, your, your palate, everyone's going to have their own palate and everyone is going to have different discernment of what works for them, what flavor profiles, level of acidity, um, and so forth. But what you do know with confidence is that there's this vetting process that you are making the most health supporting choice. And if something comes to be too funky for your palate, um, I have found really phenomenal customer service where if you dislike something, it's fully refunded. And as you continue to subscribe, I find that you guys must, I don't know how you do your subscribing with your customers, but you must make some form of notes where you do figure out the palate because <laughs> I had two bottles disliked and uh, refunded and you know it's been rock and roll since then. So I think that that's a really important thing to share as well. We, I, you know, we call it, we've done this from day one. Um, it's a hundred percent happiness promise. And it's just real simple. No questions asked. If you don't like a wine, right. Then there uh, we'll give your money back or replace it, whichever your choice. And you don't have to do anything. If, if we send you a box, I mean, this, I don't know this has ever happened, but I mean, if we sent you a box and had six bottles in it and you, wrote us and said, I hated all six bottles. We give your money back, 
right? Whether you drank the wine or not, we don't care. Mm-hmm. I mean, fortunately, most people in the world are decent and don't do right. that kind of mm-hmm. thing. So it's not really an issue, but we're just deeply committed to, because I want to treat people the way I would want to be treated. If you sold me something I didn't like, I'd like to have my money back or give me something I do like, right? Yeah. And it's real simple. Fortunately, fortunately, it's our refund rate is very low. Uh, so it's not really, it's not really of an issue, right? Because the wines are great and people love them and they continue to order them, but I don't want, I don't want to charge you for something you don't love. I love that. And especially with the subscription service when, you know, you don't necessarily know what you're getting, um, or it's going to be, you know, a different wine that you're trying. I think that's really, really important. Um, I want to close and just kind of bring things full circle here with the more romantic, I guess, vision of wine. You mentioned kind of the, the story. Um, but I want to talk a little bit about, um, terroir and maybe, um, some of the unique aspects of, of where you source your wine and relationship with growers. I know you mentioned before we got on here, South Africa in particular, and I wish I had known you before I spent my honeymoon there. Um, <laughs> You'd have had some places. That I would have. Yeah. Yeah. We loved it. And I'm sure it would have been even better, but um, maybe let's just share a little bit about sourcing relationship with growers. Yeah. So the interesting thing is that these growers all over the world, they're all similar profile. Uh, there's about 1200 natural wine growers in the world. Um, interestingly about South Africa, I think about it because I, I travel all over the world meeting with these farmers and families and staying on their properties and, um, and not during COVID of course, but you know, we'll be returning soon. Um, and one of the first trips we'll make is to South Africa. We were scheduled to go there in, um, the spring of 2020, uh, because it's a different hemisphere. They're on a different growing season, but these farmers are like, they're all small families. They, most of the families work on the farm or, 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 and most of them consume generally what they grow on the farm or what their neighbors produce. They're aligned with each other. Um, so it's, 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 it's just really like, you know, when you go to Italy and you're, you know, the 90 year old grandmother cooks for you, it's just this way of life. It's just, it's just, it's a, it's a way it's, it's a, it's a way it's a lifestyle. You don't make natural wine to make money because you can't produce it in very high quantities and it's very labor intensive because there's no machinery and all of this. It's, it's, it's a labor of love. But the thing, when I mentioned South Africa, Craig Hawkins, who he and his wife, Carla and their little girl, um, he's the, sort of the leader of the natural wine movement in South Africa. And what I was mentioning to you before the show was that the fascinating thing about South Africa is that it's the eighth largest wine producing country in the world. And it's a massive, massive piece of land, right? And, but there are only five natural wine growers in all of South Africa. And they're all aligned with this farmer down there who uh, his name is Craig Hawkins. And I love going to South Africa because the, the, the plains are so sweeping, right? In the, in the wine regions, the, you've got these open plains of valleys that are so vast, you know, because the scale of the country. And so it's, for me, it's, 
just like one of the most fascinating places where natural wine is, but, but natural wine is, it's just very, very rare there. And, uh, we sell wine from all five of the growers. I just, I just drank, just tasted, uh, I'm happy to tell you last night, it was a tasting at my house. We tasted 50 wines and, uh, among them, uh, these were all wines that, um, that are already approved and lab tested and, and are about to go out to our members. But before they go, before any wine goes out to our members, even though the wine team has vetted it, lab tested it, approved it's aesthetic or taste and so on. I taste every wine before it goes out. Um, even though we've already committed to it, just I want to make certain that, um, and of the 50 wines last night, not a single one of them didn't meet my aesthetic, right? And, uh, but what made me think of that is I drank one of Craig Hawkins, I tasted one of Craig Hawkins wines last night that um, was just extraordinary called love is love is enough is the name of the wine so anyway i think if you get a chance to go to south africa it's a long trip you know for me uh, to fly 12 hours to amsterdam from california and then another 12 hours or 11 hours from amsterdam to to cape town it's a long trip but uh but a fascinating place to visit well i'll just visit through my glass (laughs) (laughs) on my back patio (laughs) that's just enough for me right now (laughs) nice so i'm going to send you i'm going to send you some of this wine i was just talking about you're going to love it sounds good sounds good we're into it love it awesome well thank you so much for sharing with us todd all of the updates um we are really excited to share of course always that when you go to dryfarmwines.com slash ally miller rd you can add a bottle to your order for just a penny so make sure you listeners take advantage of that we'll put the link in the show notes as well as information on dry farm wines thanks so much todd for taking the time with us today Thanks for having me. It was a great time. Thank you for listening to the Naturally Nourished podcast. Visit our blog at AllieMillerRD.com for recipes, wellness tips, and food as medicine meal plans. Connect with Allie and Becky at AllieMillerRD on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. Until next time, stay nourished and be well.